And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the T in your Tilo, Tom Fitzgerald. And I'm here with the Low in your Tilo, Lorenzo Marquez, my lovely husband. How are you, lovely husband? (laughs) We were just talking about Trash Day, which is Trash Day here. And we were discussing things we need to get rid of because uh, apparently I am a hoarder. He is a hoarder <laughs> and a whore, but he's a hoarder. <laughs> a hoarder whore. We have like stacks of of um like planters, like big pots for plants. Because we tried that to do we it. have bought over the years that we have tried many, many a time. And listen, I I don't have a problem keeping plants alive. I never did before I had cats, but with these these little fuckers, <laughs> no, they've killed everything. Um, I'll never forget the time we came home after we bought a ficus tree in the 90s when everyone had one. And our one, our cat at the time was sleeping at the top of it. Yes. She had climbed. To, it wasn't even that big, but she no. was a kitten and she was and lightweight. We but it, it was like a panther money. in a tree. And it was a very expensive one. And then we- So we have all these pots. And so I'm trying to do the, you know... Um, the Marie Kondo kind of thing, you know, <laughs> trying to, to weed certain things out. In fact, I am, um, I scheduled my haircut for Saturday. I'm telling you all this, you know, <laughs> oh, but I scheduled okay. my haircut for Saturday because uh, the Thrift for AIDS place takes uh, oh my God. donations and I'm cleaning out my closet and it's right next to where I get my haircut. So there we go with that. Um what? No, it's just funny. Yeah, all these things. Um, I'm like, well, people do spring cleaning, and I never feel like doing spring cleaning because right. I want to go outside. Like the trees right. are blooming and the days are longer, and I'm like, yeah, I don't feel like cle- fall cleaning though. That's my thing. I guess it's because you pay more attention to your closet, like because you're inside. Yeah, I guess. um, and your the windows are closed. You can't right. air things out, and um, let's see. You probably, if you've listened to us for any length of time, you know we go a little nuts at Christmas time decorating this place, and I can't stand. <laughs> you got to have a spotlessly clean house before you start hanging shit up like that. You just have to. You have to just, it's got to be done. So I'm always from October to December, like power washing things, cleaning out closets, what you know, waxing floors, that sort of. <laughs> Total 50s so housewife's mania. So you have to have a conversation with me. All right. We need to talk about throwing things out. Yes. <laughs> um, and it's true. Uh, and you can't let go of things. No, I can't. It's true. Because, you know, every now and then you were like, do we have this? I was like, yes, we do, because I kept it. Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> Under a pile of other things, and now we can't find it. Like, okay. Oh, come on. I, I have said this before, but there are times where I have to have a moment where I'm like, okay, it's getting a little gray gardens around here. We're surrounded by animals and clutter, and we never leave the house because that's what it is when when you blog and podcast on your own like us. Yeah, no, but our place it can get a little gray gardens. No, no, the house yeah, is clean. Don't, don't make it. But look we like can a... get very cluttered, right? Right? And, right. You know, very outnumbered by the animals. And sort I do of like to keep things. Yes, because I always. I, I, first of all, I have this thing that drives him crazy. Tom crazy is that when I buy something, not everything, but most of the things that I need to buy two because we might need another one. <laughs> that's a hoarder. That's like literally what hoarders do. He's like, laughing, but like, I'm like, all right, well, that's clinical right there. <laughs> oh my God. Anyway. Okay. Mm. Okay. Sipping my tea. Moving on. Tea is sipping his tea. Um, uh, we have uh, some TV stuff to talk about uh, this week. Obviously, we're doing House of the Dragon. If, if you've been following us, you know that we've been doing it every week, and we have a lot to talk about with this week's episode. And I'm kind of interested because Lorenzo and I have not Discussed spoken it. one word to each other. I yeah. have no idea what you think about this episode. You don't know what I think. So mm-hmm. that'll be interesting and revealing. But before we get to that, 
We're also going to talk about, uh, Lorenzo's going to talk about the final season of his favorite show. Oh my God, one of my favorite shows ever. And I'm going to talk about the first couple episodes of a new show that kind of sort of recommend. I mean, I recommend, but right. I, it hasn't hooked me 100%. We'll talk about that. Yeah. But before we get into all that, just wanted to take a moment and recognize that Angela Lansbury, Dame Angela Lansbury, passed away this week uh, at the age of 96, I believe. Yeah, 96. Same age as the Queen. Um, They're having tea together, right? There was this huge outpouring, as there would be. And we talked about this uh, before we flipped on the mics. I said sort of what makes this a little interesting to talk about, aside from her astonishing career and her um, stature as a cultural figure that spans generations. And we will get into that in a second, but um, her death comes right on the heels of Loretta Lynn who died last week at 90 something. I can't remember how old she was. And of course the queen. Um, And it was something I noticed. I noted earlier this year when Christopher Plummer, or was it last year, Christopher Plummer and Sidney Poitier died. Right. And I said, uh, I think I said this on Twitter that, you know, our, our celebrities, there are more celebrities living longer than at any other time. Like, our major, major icons living into their 90s. Right. Um, and when they go, because they've been around for so long, because their careers have spanned so much, and because you reach that age, you almost instantly become an icon, regardless of how good your career was, just by, by the length of it. Um, when they go, they leave these enormous holes. Betty, Betty White... Another prime example, right. just the enormous hole they leave in the culture when they go. And Especially I think when, they, when Angela Lansbury passed, it was just yesterday, there was a sudden outpouring of people realizing how large, she wasn't just Jessica Fletcher. She wasn't just Miss yeah. Potts in Beauty and the Beast. She wasn't just the saucy Cockney maid in Gaslight. She wasn't just the horror show of a mother in The Manchurian Candidate. She was all of those things. And they span... 70 years of work she was <clears throat> she was also huge on stage you know right she was auntie mame she was mama rose she gave these iconic performances right. for which she won tonys um six actually yeah the, it's just a i i think she was one of those everybody knew when betty white was before she went everybody knew there was going to be this massive outpouring when she went um but I think some when someone like Angela Lansbury goes, it, it takes everyone a bit by surprise. Like, oh, Jesus, she was part of my childhood. She's right. part of classic cinema. She's part TV, of television. You know, yeah, yeah, the history of television, Broadway, and these roles that are just iconic. Like, and not, I know that word gets overused a lot, but her roles really were iconic. The, right. The, she's the teapot from Beauty and the Beast. I know. Christ. I know. You can't hear the tune Beauty and the Beast without, without hearing her. her vocals. Yeah. She created that, you know, that whole, your, under, your memory of that film is tied up in the sound of her voice. Right. And I'm not even, I was an adult when that film came out, but if you were a millennial, um, or or younger like Gen Z, I can't even imagine that the, the the power that that voice has. You know the memory of that in your memory. She, first of all, she had such a unique voice. You know she did. Yeah, and and extremely talented from day one. I mean, yeah. she was eighteen when she did um, Gaslight, Gaslight, and she won a nomination for that, and she was phenomenal. <laughs> you hate her, and you well, and this is the thing about if you don't know her, the history of her career, say before Murder She Wrote or Bedknobs and Broomsticks or whatever, um, 
She had a history in the 40s of playing um, saucy bad girls. Yeah, you wouldn't yeah, believe yeah. it from looking at this kindly looking older woman, but she played saucy little sluts, basically, in the, as, as far as mainstream cinema, cinema right. could take those characters right, right. in the 40s. Um, and she was known for that. And when you look, she had a perfect face for playing that kind of role. She had those pouty lips and those giant right. eyes. And she was just very good at playing these morally sort of vacuous women, you know? Um <laughs> And then um, in her middle age, she if she wasn't even that old. She, was, she wasn't even 40. What am I saying? She wasn't even in her middle age when she played the mother in Manchurian Candidate. And that was just one of just everything she one did. of the most yeah. evil characters in the history of cinema, bar none. Like she's top ten. You always remember her, whatever she did, like yeah. the Harvey girls. You know, the Harvey. I know. Oh my, everything, every role she played. You you remember her. You remember the the, the lead, but you also remember her, right? Uh, and she talks about that how she never gave. She, they never gave her, you know, something that you know, Betty Davies or Lauren Bacall would play. I mean, no. It was always like the mean girl or... The girl who didn't get the guy. Yeah, the girl who didn't get the guy. Uh, but she always played it so well. And yeah. And you always remember her. Yeah. Uh, you, um, it's just the epitome of a great character actress who turned herself into a great lead actress uh, over the course of her career. She, I, I mean, she also complained that they always gave her uh, older, you know, woman. Well, she always she, played an older woman. Uh, and she hated that. She said, you know, she would fight that and they would say well next time we'll give you something else and right. then they, they kept giving her the I mean same in the Manchurian thing, yeah. Candidate she was only like two or three years older than Lawrence Harvey who played her son right. and I mean she just was not old enough to have an adult son um, but that's just a consequence of um, how how uh, certain facial features are read in film and te- especially right. in classic film and right. television. So she she never looked when you really assess her. She never was someone who aged ahead of her time. It's that she had a round face, and on film, especially on classic film, it was easier yes. to cast a, a, an actress with a round face in matronly roles right. or bad girl roles, but not in leading lady roles because leading ladies have high cheekbones and yes. long necks. I've said this before, and it's true up till today. When you look at plus-sized um, uh, people who become really famous, who become stars, mm-hmm. big, big stars, when you look at someone like Adele, um, she is unusual. And I say this as someone who carries this sort of weight in my face, but Famous, famous plus size people don't carry a lot of weight in their face. They mm-hmm. don't, and whether that's through plastic surgery or it's through you know the selection of who gets to be famous or not. But when you look at someone like Adele, even before her weight loss, she had incredible bone structure, and mm-hmm. she had like you know hollowed out cheeks and a defined jawline and everything like that. And that is what is allowed to be the kind of person. So right. I mean, I'm wandering off point here, but with someone like Angela Lansbury, she was always. She never looked older than her age, but Hollywood looked at a round-faced woman with sort of, um, she had like those sort of beatific figures. She, uh, you know, she had the huge eyes and the tiny nose and the bee stung lips. And they just read it as bad girl or mother. Right. And she was playing those roles. But she was really good. Like all great actors, uh, film and television actors, she knew how to use her face. Right. So she knew what her face came off like in film. And she was able to play around with that, which is why her role in The Manchurian Candidate is so shocking to watch. That's why I have so much respect for people with talent um, as an actor, for example, because they're, they're given shit, but they still love what they do so much. Right. And they're so good at it. They, they do a phenomenal job no matter what. Right. They, 
get recognized uh, for it, uh, and that's her the, her case yeah. every single time. And I think also she's one of those actor, one of those figures like uh, say Betty White, um, and Julie Andrews is another one. That's one when she goes, oh boy, there's going to be an outpouring when Julie goes. But she's oh one of God. those figures will, yeah. in show business about which you've never heard a bad thing. No one has ever said a bad thing about Angela Lansbury. There are no bad stories. And yesterday. Um, when the news came out, there were all these lovely stories from co-stars that were going around on Twitter and social media uh, about what it was like to work with her and how supportive she was. And like, for instance, um, part of the reason Murder, She Wrote had so many old, old, old actors on it from the classic era of Hollywood is that she fought to get them on right. the show I reading that. so yeah. that they would be able to keep their health insurance, oh their union health yeah. insurance. So, I mean, the show was actually widely derided at the time because it was just a parade of 70-year-olds on television. I feel like television. watching it again. Um, but again, that's another thing about Murder, She Wrote is uh, uh, about Angela Lansbury in regards to Murder, She Wrote. First off, I looked it up on on um, IMDb and it ran for close to 300 episodes, an insane number of episodes. Um, but she was... Um, she wasn't just a mature woman on television. I think she was in her 60s when the show aired, debuted. I think she was just about 60, around 60 when it debuted. But it wasn't just that she was a senior woman, is that she was a childless and unmarried senior woman who had a great life. Yeah, yeah. And when you think about it, even now, I'm like, wow, that's there's just not a lot of examples on, of no. that on television. She talks childless, about playing that. unmarried, yeah. Yeah. senior woman who had a really active fantastic life she was brilliant she was exactly fulfilled exactly. everything and I, I took that show for granted i think at at the time or in the years since but that came up in some of the retrospectives yesterday and i was like wow that really i you know everyone talks about golden girls and how revolutionary what and it was um but they were all married women with you know or widowed women with children they were all fairly conventional um in in, in their a way, backgrounds yeah. but here was a truly unconventional woman on television uh, and for 300 episodes and it was like this huge hit and she won it. Oh, I don't think she did win Emmys for it. I think she doesn't have any Emmys. I don't know. I, that, um, I don't remember. I but, know it was nominated a lot, but... Oh, it ran from 84 to 96. That's insane. That's an insane... Yeah. I mean, and she I mean, she talked about how much money she made, which I'm very happy yeah. for her. Yeah, of course. Uh, because, you know, she deserves it. Um, but it's just... Yeah, I mean, it, it's just amazing. Her career is amazing. I remember as a kid watching, I think my introduction to her was Murder, She Wrote. Uh, yeah. And then... Mine was uh, Bent uh, Knobs and Broomsticks. Uh, and as I became interested in, in old movies, yeah, that's when, you know, I started watching uh, right. like Gaslight and all these movies with her. And she is amazing. The Harvey Girls, my God. She yeah, is... she's so good in The Harvey Girls. Uh, <laughs> I love The Harvey all. Girls. It's a, I know, it's a recommended movie. Judy Garland musical. Um it's everything about her. And it's nice to see someone, again, you know, there are so many examples of that. Someone who is not necessarily a star in the sense that, you know, Betty Davies, Lauren Bacall, a kind of uh, star. Right. But someone who has done beautiful work, uh, has had an incredible career, and an extremely talented. There's so many um, like her. Just a couple of the stories that came out about her yesterday. Um like uh, uh, Joanna Gleason, the the actress who has done a lot of stage work, was tweeting about her yesterday and said that um, she had gotten fired from a play that the two of them were in. And Angela took her to her dressing room and gave her like a, a handbag, like a gift and told her someday you're going to fill it with all the all the great work you're going to do. And then um, 
she was happened to be waiting off stage to present. Angela was waiting off stage to present when Joanna won her Tony. I don't know what she won oh. it for. And as Joanna came off the stage, she grabbed her and said, it was like years later. And she was like, see, didn't I tell you? Um, and then there was another story about the playwright Terrence McNally, who died just a couple of years ago. I think he died during the COVID. I think he oh, got one of the, really? he was one of the first big famous COVID deaths. Anyway. He told a story for years about being at, I think, Sondheim's 50th birthday party. So that would be like close to 50 years ago. And she waved him over and she said, I, we don't know each other very well, but I just want to let, I just want to say, every time I see you, you're really drunk and I'm very, very worried about you. Oh. And he went straight into AA right after that because he was devastated that Angela Lansbury, and he credited her. He credited her with helping him get off. And then the other story is about, um, I knew this, and actually I was like, damn, I wish I had tweeted this, because it went viral a couple of times when other people tweeted it, but I had already known this. Um, in the late 60s, she left Hollywood, and she took her teenage children with her, and they moved to um, Ireland, like the countryside, because her son had a heroin addiction, and mm. her daughter was getting involved with the Charles Manson cult. Oh, dear God. Yeah. I did not know that. And she put her career on hold for years. Um, mm. And in fact, it took a huge hit in her career. Not that she was some A-plus star at that point, but she did take a hit mm -hmm. um, to get her children out of, her teenage kids out of a bad situation. Oh, and I mean, like, talk about mother of the year. Like, she saw her daughter get involved in Manson, and she got the hell out of the oh, country. My God. Interesting that she went to Ireland. Her mother uh, was from Ireland. Yeah, she's Irish-English. I mean, yeah. uh, I, I, she's part, yeah. I was just going to say Lansbury's not an Irish No, her, name, her she, mother was I knew an she Irish was actress. Irish, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's interesting. I, I, it's a fascinating life. Uh, inter very interesting career. Yeah. Uh, just, just a wonderful woman. Yeah. Um, just not a bad thing to say about her and, and a cultural reach that, you know, I think we might have taken for granted a little bit. Um, and she's got a, I didn't realize looking at her IMDb, she's got she's got an appearance in Glass Onion, the Knives Out sequel coming. So she's oh got a movie God. coming out at 96. <laughs> That's, That's the way to go. Yes, absolutely. So here's to you, Angela. Thanks for all of it. Yeah, um, thank you. Now, moving on, you want to talk about, speaking of Irish Speak, girls. Oh, my God, yes. Um, I am a huge, huge fan of Dairy Girls, uh, which is a phenomenal, one of the best ever shows on Netflix about a bunch of teenagers in the troubled times of Northern Ireland. Um, and it's just a hysterical show, extremely well-written. I'm not Irish, I'm not Catholic, and I'm always laughing out loud all the time. I've watched season one and two like several times, and I'm still laughing. It's a very funny show. What I love about the show, and it's written by one woman only. Nobody else helps her. Uh, her name is Lisa. Is that Lisa uh, McKee? Um, let me check here. But anyway, she is phenomenal, phenomenal writer. Yes, Lisa uh, McKee. Um, and she is the only writer of the show, on the show. And um, it's a very, very funny show. What I love about the show is that the show is, is, is inspired by her own life as a teenager back then in the 90s. Um, what she went through, her school, everything. Um, and um, sorry, 
tab his ear and his he's like rolling around bumping up against the I know, microphone I know. it's terrible anyway so it's about inspired uh pretty much you know when she was a teenager back then uh her school going to school and all her life then uh back then and it's it's phenomenal the show is a huge success um everybody loves it it's funny because netflix just dropped i mean it has shown already in 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 england but it finally dropped season three the final season actually uh on netflix and and jamie dorman was like talking about it how much he loved the show and he was crying sobbing watching the the the, the, i know it's the the last episode is so beautiful i mean everything about it it, i just love the jokes are hysterical they're hysterical and it's funny because i'm so you i mean you know i'm i watch anything with an irish accent I absolutely love the accent. And it, I remember watching season one and I couldn't understand a word they said <laughs> uh, in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then you get used to it, you know, um, then you you fine. But in the beginning, I was like, I have no idea what they just said. Um, it's a great show. Everyone is phenomenal. Uh, every actor. And the third season just dropped on Netflix, correct? Th- yes. Uh, there's there's Siobhan McSweeney. She plays a, she plays sister Michael. She's hilarious. She is. Uh, you might remember her from. She's a, a host. She was or she is a host on um, what is it? The uh, Great Pottery uh, Throwdown. Um, there's also a Nicola Coughlin. Actually, I thought it was Coughlin, but it's actually Coughlin. Um, she's also on. Uh, Bridgerton. Um, she's she's one of the main characters. It's just hilarious. Watch it. You don't have to be Irish. Uh, you might not understand the language in the beginning, but just get used to it. It's a fantastic show. show. Uh, everyone is great. And the last season is really, really, really good. I'm, and one point that the, the writer made, and I think it's dead on, is that the show it's what she wanted to create a show that because she felt that everything about Northern Ireland and the troubles back then it was always written and seen by a male perspective uh it was never a woman or a young woman or people actual people uh, living at the time you know going to school and having friends and that kind of stuff and that's exactly it that's what the show is about it's just funny 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 they do bring up you know what happened back then uh you see episodes where you know it does get political but at the same time it's light and funny and it's about people living back then um it's just phenomenal the last episode um it's just gorgeous it starts with one character called orla and she's dancing on the walls which is like you know the 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 checkpoints and um She's dancing, and she's dancing to this Dario G. You might know who he is. He uh, version of, of the Northern Ireland, um, life in a northern town. Um, and she's dancing, and then some Irish dancers join her. And it's one of the most beautiful scenes. I've cried every time I watch it, and I've watched it many, many times. Anyway, phenomenal show. I highly recommend it. Start from the beginning. Only uh, three seasons. They just dropped the last one. And it's hysterical and also a great, great show. Fabulous. I can't tell you how hard he laughs watching this show. I love it. Um, I don't know why I have not caught it. I, I caught the first few episodes, but I didn't get as into it as you did. But I will I will eventually watch the whole thing. Uh, moving on to that, I'm going to give a minor recommendation for uh, the new uh, series on AMC+. Plus. Based on the book, Interview with the Vampire, it's called Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire, I guess, to distinguish it from the film of the same name from, like, 1994 with Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. Anyway, I, um, 
I'm kind of over vampires, mm-hmm. just in the same way I'm kind of over zombies. But actually, it sounds like we're heading back into a vampires are trendy again oh, uh, sort of thing. And I I really wanted to catch this because there was a lot of buzz about it. And um, also because um, Sam Reed is playing Lestat de Leoncourt, and he is so freaking cute <laughs> and i've said this before about him if you ever watch the movie bell with gugu and Bata raw and him um he's got a panty dropper of a voice my god he's got a voice like whiskey and honey but unfortunately they make him do a sort of cheesy french accent throughout this however right. he does a good it's not a bad one it, he's obviously no, he studied speaks it. i mean he speaks french yeah in the movie um yeah. He is French. The character is French. And of course, Tom Cruise was, was criticized for not playing the character as oh, French. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, he didn't play him with an accent. That's what I'm saying. I didn't know that he was criticized. Oh, yeah, he was. People thought he was wrong for Lestat. And in a lot of ways, he was wrong. for. He did a great job in that mm-hmm. role. Um, but here's why I came to this series. It's because uh, I read those books when they first came out. Well, not when they first came out. I mean, Interview with the Vampire came out in like 1976. I was not old enough to read it then. But, um, but early on, you know. I read them I, right. uh, when they all started getting hot again in the 90s. And she started writing um, sequels to them in like the late 80s and the 90s. And I did. I read them all then. And I read the um, her first two or three of the Mayfair Witches books that she wrote. And I'm bringing that up because apparently they're launching a whole like Marvel Universe based out of her. Of course they are. Books on AMC Plus. So they will not only be doing Interview with the Vampire, they also just released the um trailer for the Mayfair Witches starring Alexandra Daddario and I gotta say it looks really good. I, I do. love her. She's I, well you're gonna love the Mayfair Witches. It's horny and dirty and weird. <laughs> it's right. so weird. Lots of sex with demons and that sort of oh, thing. Oh dear God. Um but anyway back to Interview with the Vampire. I uh I do recommend this because it is, um, and I said this to you while we were watching. I was like, "Well, they spent they spent some money on this. It is not a cheap looking production. No, it looks it looks expensive. Most of the, um, almost all of it so far is set in New Orleans uh, in the early, in the very early part of the twentieth century. It opens in nineteen ten. By the third episode, it's nineteen seventeen. Uh, of course, the whole thing is told in flashback from the present day because it's an interview with the vampire. That's the way the book was written. That's the uh. way. But this is you did you watched it. Um, yeah, but I didn't read the book, so... But you watched the show. How did you miss the interview part? I was bored, actually. But yeah, anyway... that's why I'm doing this <laughs> this report. I'm not You're a vampire. Not. I'm not a vampire person. Anyway, um, it's opulent looking. Their, their reconstruction of turn of the century New Orleans is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, one thing, very notable thing about this one, two very notable things about this one, is that, first off, the subtext of the original novel, which was homoerotic, but not actually homosexual um <laughs> this is full-blown and, and i mean yeah. literally full-blown there's there's uh gay sex scenes galore in the first two episodes they took the subtext and they made a text which is fine uh, i was watching it and weirdly enough i kept thinking about uh of all things citizen kane it's sort of like watching what? citizen kane <laughs> wait you watch citizen kane if you don't understand you're like all right fine but i've seen this a million times before every single part of the movie feels like a cliche but the point to citizen kane is that was the first one to do all of those things I, that um orson welles created so much of the language of, oh, of your film yeah. from that point on um and it's sort of the same thing with interview with the vampire which is 
when you put it in context, Anne Rice really did kind of create the whole gay vampire thing, which is an iconic figure now. And she also sexualized vampires in a way that was much more true. blatant. That's true. Um, yeah. I mean, there was always sex undertone, you know, with something like Dracula. But she made them sexy. It was, but she turned them into literal rock stars. And you wouldn't have Twilight or any of those other films, any of those other ideas about what vampires are, sexy and, and homoerotic and, and all the other... That's all her. So you have to sort of put yourself in this mindset like, yeah, this isn't trotting new ground, but it was when it was written 50 years ago. Um, so the ga- the whole gay vampire thing isn't, isn't shocking, and it doesn't feel particularly new. Um, but they do it really, really well. The sex scenes are very, very hot. Um, and the leads are, like I said, Sam Reed is playing Lestat de Leoncourt, and the other character is Louis de Pontulac, which is... Uh, this is the other big change they made in this version. He is played by a black actor. He's played by Jacob Anderson, who played Grey Worm on um, House um, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, and he was awesome. Yeah, uh, and he's awesome in this. Um, and what I think really makes this notable uh, is that is is it it's part of a cultural change that's happening right in front of us that I think we're going to look back on this period and examine it. It's it's the year when um, hobbits and elves and dwarves and vampires all became black, uh, and right, and right, the right, culture right, reacted right. in various ways to it. Going, um, yeah, they went a little centering a story it, yeah. on a black vampire. It's not the it's not unheard of. Blackula was made fifty years ago, so this is not revolutionary. Um, but it's still about a wave of inserting black faces into fantasy fiction where they have largely been underrepresented. I, I think it's a great movement uh, because it, it's the idea that we're just going to assign great actors no matter what color they are, you know, in a way. Uh, no. No? I don't think that's what's going on here well, at I, all because they had to alter the story. I mean, and they no, were, I mean, I, were I, very I smart. They were very smart about how they altered the story. Um, to accommodate the fact that the original Louis de Pontelac was a white slave owner. Uh, oh, okay. In, in, I see. In, and it, the story took place at least 50 years earlier than where they set it now. Now it's, you know, post-Civil War, and it would have to be if you want a black vampire who's not a slave. Oh, I see. I... Um, so they set it 50 years later. They made the white character black, and they, they are exploring a lot of stuff about the rising black middle class mm-hmm. in the New South, um, and that about, you know, being a black gay man uh, at the turn of the 20th century. There's stuff about it where they're not ignoring his race at all. His race I is see. part of the point of the oh, character. Oh, that's interesting then. Yeah. I might watch it I now. mean, when you're, when you're talking about, like, say, Tolkien, um, uh, you know, the black hobbits and the black elves and the black dwarves, that, that isn't, their race isn't. Well, going that, that, to be that's what I was point. going for. That, that on the other hand, House of the Dragon, Corlys Velaryon, the fact that he's black and there's all this, you know, these questions about whether his children, his grandchildren, are, you know, right. all these lineage questions. They have a different flavor when you cast a black actor in that part of the story. So it depends. But in the in the in the case of Interview with the Vampire, they um, are very much leaning into exploring his identity as a black gay man in the South, in New Orleans. In the uh, early part of the 20th century. Um, uh, it also stars Eric Bogosian, who I've loved since the 80s, who who plays Daniel Malloy, the interviewer. And it, there's a very, very interesting conceit because um, uh, this is, 
you know, basically taking place 50 years. The, the, the new version is taking place in 2022, which is almost 50 years past the date of when it was written, which was the late 70s. Um, and they bumped the time period up uh, when they did the flashbacks from like 1860-something to 1910. I don't know why they did this, but it really adds a flavor to it. Uh, Eric Bogosian's character, who is the interviewer, interviewed Louis 50 years ago. And it went badly for some reason, and the book was never published. And then Louis contacts him 50 years later and says he wants to do it again. So it's just an interesting setup because um, the, the interviewer does not need to be told. He already knows that this guy is a vampire. He knows his story is true. So there's no disbelief on this. They get past all of that. Right. It's more about what happened, right? Right. And there is some sort of history between the two of right. them. It, it, it sounds like he got violent with him at some point. Um, so it, there's this undertone in all of their scenes of tremendous menace that would not have been there before. Um, I do. I don't want to give anything away, but I, when I was watching, I mean, I thought it was very interesting that he, he, he kept talking. And I was like, no, no, but what happened to the baby? Right. And, and he wouldn't answer. What happened to the baby? I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. Um, Did you eat the baby? Yes. Um, uh, but it was just awesome because, as you said, he knows he's a vampire now. Right. It's just a matter of... And I do want to say, in terms of... That's a perfect segue of the the violence. It's it's really not that... If you're squeamish about this sort of thing... I mean, they're vampires, so there's going to be like blood dripping down I their know. faces and stuff like that. But you're not looking at super violent... I mean, it's nothing like, I don't know, The Walking Dead or anything. You're not looking at Eviscer or House of the Dragon, or House of the Dragon for that matter. <laughs> Style. Yeah. Uh, it's um, true. So the only reason I'm a little, uh, you know, tentative, I really did like it. But I guess it feels like ground that's been trod before. Mm-hmm. Um, they're doing a lot of interesting stuff to keep it fresh, like making the characters overtly gay or exploring the race. And it looks incredible. Right. Um, and I know they have... Um, Claudia coming in an episode or two. Claudia is the character that Kirsten Dunst played in the movie, the little ah. girl that they turn into a vampire. And that should be fun when she See, joins See, now I have it. to watch it. Yeah, it's good. Um, and it looks beautiful. And it hasn't completely set me on fire, but it has kept me intrigued. I think the, the leads, the two leads are absolutely great together. They are together. incredible. Yeah, they have, they have great a ton chemistry. of chemistry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they do. Um, so yes, recommended. I I was sort of sheepish about recommending it at the start of this, but now I've talked my way to the point where I'm like, no, this is good. I'm you being made me interested. I'm yeah. being sheepish about it because I read the books thirty years ago, so it just feels like old right, yeah. old stuff to me. But um, looks good. And actually, I'm really interested in Mayfair Witches. They dropped the the trailer this week uh, at I think at Paley Fest. And um, it actually does look really good. And it was such a fucked up series of books. Oh, my God. Really? Anne Rice had some issues. Oh, yeah, well, I have to. I have uh, to watch okay, that. Okay. So moving on. House of the Dragon. House of the Dragon. I have to say, I still. We are talking I'm, about the episode, The Lord of the Tides. Right. In which, um, um, spoiler, King Viserys dies at the end. That's the one we're talking about. Yeah. So, it was it was his episode. It was you know pretty much all about him in a way. Uh, you know, and it's funny because I have complained about how Patty uh, Constantine right uh, plays him uh, or played him, and um, never liked because he he was a little you know too naive or whatever. But now the more I watch, the more I understand that that was the way to go because he wasn't naive at all. He was just trying to hold everything together mm-hmm. um, in a way. Interesting. I think. Um, Anyway, I think I think he, 
you know, Patty did a phenomenal job, I think. Um, I think he, I, w- I just read an interview uh, with him in the New York Times that he said that he doesn't want to watch the episode, that, but he thinks that this is one of the best things he ever played, this character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just great. It was just great, great performance. Um, uh, I just want to bring up that he mentioned that he loved the costumes, he loved the wigs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the wigs did I know, any favors. But, but, but he said he loved to wear the costume because he's a huge weight. He's a huge fan of drag race. Yes, he said that. <laughs> and that he felt like, you know, he was wearing these incredible, you know, costumes and wigs and stuff. So, which is which is cute and funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was all about him, I thought, in a way. Uh, it was devastated to see. I mean, be- again, we moved seven years, right? Is that six years. Six years, of another. course. Of course. So... It's it's just hard to watch him um, and how well the makeup job was um, really very hard to look at. Yeah, um, it was. They hard. made him revolting, um, and they if they don't, they should get nominated. I I I think all around it was probably the best episode of the series so mm-hmm. far in terms of the acting and the production and just everybody on their A game. Um, it was a strange episode to me, mm-hmm. um, and I know this is this is. You know, um, I think it pretty much adheres to how the story unfolds in the books. Uh, but th- I know, I know they're supposed to have this brief moment of reconciliation before it all goes to shit. But um, as heartwarming or as as beautifully acted as that scene was, the dinner scene, um, and the way he implored his children and his grandchildren to get along with each other, I'm not sure. And, and granted, it didn't last long. I mean, I don't know. I ha- I have still have a hard time piecing or just parsing what um, Alicent and Rhaenyra did in that scene because it. And again, this is a result of how the the show skips around yes. and and there's yes. so yes. many blanks that are not being filled in. So it just felt strange that suddenly they were saying really nice things to right. each other. Just based on him making one impassioned speech, right. given how much they've set up and how bad everything has gotten, um, and how many reasons they both have for just look, she pulled a knife on her last right. episode, and they're, you know, raising their glass and and you'll be a great queen and thank you for taking care of my father and those they were actually beautifully acted scenes, but I once again felt like it just it just feels like I'm being asked to make yet another leap here. Right. Um, you have and to the show was yourself. constantly yeah. ma- asking me to make these leaps forward in time and just, just sort of explain the gaps to myself. Why, right. Why is she still queen after she attacked the air last season, last episode? <laughs> we just have to, and now they're raising their glasses to each other. Okay. I, but I reiterate, it was a great episode. I just found, that moment wasn't earned and right. it should have been. Um, especially agree. given how tragic the outcome of it really is, which first off, in the immediate response to that scene is to show that no matter what those two mothers say to each other, they have raised their, their children. All the kids. They yeah. have raised their children yeah. in just a vat of poison and that's right. not going away just because you decided to be no. nice to in each fact, other. In fact, it's going to get worse. Uh, right. 
I, I do love the scene because, first of all, they're amazing actors, both of them, uh, and, uh, Olivia Cook and, and uh, Emma Darcy. I think they're stunning. They're phenomenal. just amazing. I, they're, I love that. I, that's one thing. I think I, Emma Darcy is a star. She, uh, they, they, are, are. they are a star. What I love. They about, went viral this weekend because of the I know. A TikTok where um, the, it was really a cute TikTok where uh, Olivia and Emma were asking each other questions, I think, for one of the magazines. And it was... Uh, she asked Emma what her favorite co- what their favorite cocktail was, and she and they said uh, a Negroni Spagliato with Prosecco, and it just oh my god, it just went nuts, yeah, because uh, they are so charismatic, yes. they are so innately chic. That's just you yeah. look at them and you're like, oh, that's someone you just can't stop looking at, right? And all they said was the name of a cocktail, but it's. New it York sounded Times, yeah. so sexy. Yeah, the New York Times wanted I to do an article about I it. I posted it in the lounge um, about it because it, uh, that's all everyone was talking um, about. They I, are a, a star. I think so. And I think that's one of the greatest things about the show is that they decided this time to cast great people, great talent, uh, young talent. Because sometimes, you know, you hire all these young people and they, they hire them because I got God knows why. Right, right. But they have very little talent. And then you're stuck with them for five seasons. This time they're great, great actors, both of them. Right, uh, and that scene they anchor just, the show. Oh, they do, and they they really know how to act and and to to deliver every line, every look, every every movement. Uh, they're just great, great together. So I agree with you because we keep moving so quickly. I mean, you barely some have of a these time. emotional scenes don't yeah. land as well as they should. And when it comes to Viserys, I um, they're damn lucky they had Patty Considine to tie that together because right. um, I don't think they gave him enough to work with on the page uh, in terms of creating a character that made sense. And honestly, I, I, I don't think this actually speaks all that well. The writing he dies and the last words he says are my love. Right. right. Um, and I took that to mean he was seeing his dead wife yes, in but his that, final that, moment. That's what everybody And assumed. he said that, uh, Patty Considine said that, but he also said that he ad-libbed the, the line and he didn't know if they were going to keep it in. And I was like, well, that, I mean, good for you. They're lucky they had you because that those two words mm-hmm. explain everything. Right. And it really shouldn't, I mean, it was poignant that we got it at that final moment that, uh, you know, it was all about, oh, you've been guilty you felt guilt all these yes, years yes. because you ordered her death and you know, right. All you, and it's why um, you're so much more uh, focused on Rhaenyra as your heir than you are your, your sons or any of your other children. Right, exactly. It's why exactly. you called Allison Emma. I mean, it, it works, right. but it's again, you had to get to all these leaps and the, it only really made sense in the final moments of the character's life. Right. Um, if he hadn't said those words, I would have been a lot more like, what the fuck? was the point of that guy right. everyone i mean most of the reviews talk about how he deteriorated so fast so fast when um uh when his wife died right you know like from that moment on he was he was just dead he was just dying right, right, he was right. unhappy but we didn't have time to see it we didn't have time to unpack any of that and it just makes a lot it fine it, it explains a lot of his actions up to this point um, but it really made some of them inexplicable for way too long right. while they were unfolding. Not least of which is why? Why did you name Rhaenyra knowing knowing what it would do to the family and the country and everything right. else? Why did you do that? Why are you still sticking with this? Because 
I got to say, that whole explanation with the dagger and and the prince who was promised and there has to be a Targaryen on the throne when winter comes. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's not... But your sons are all Targaryen. Like, any of Allison's children are Targaryen. So it's not really an argument for why you chose Rhaenyra over your other children. Um, Even though it... it, And, you know, and I got to say, Emma Darcy had a great scene at... uh, at uh, Viserys's bed when when um, Rhaenyra came to him at night and base and again it was like I'm fi- I'm glad someone's finally having her say these lines like why would you want this why would you even want this knowing it's just going to cause pain right to you and your family for the rest of your life you know what's coming and so we finally got this moment where she was like why did you give this to me why can't can't, can't why why do I have this. Um, I think they it took too long to get to those points with those characters. Um, and I was going to say something else about Viserys, and I lost it. I lost my train of thought. Um, um, I do want to emphasize again um, how great he was. And, and it was a great uh, d- depiction of how people aged and died back back then. It was painful. If you've ever been in elder care or, or yeah. had someone you know in your life with cancer, final stages, that sort of thing, which I've had both... Um, he did. Whew, it was hard. Yeah. It was the the way. Yeah. The way he moved. The sounds yeah. that he made when he moved. This was one of the best depictions of someone end stage. I think he that I've seen. I think he mentioned that he watched his father die of cancer. Yes, he yeah. did. And and, I, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I can tell because yeah. you have to see someone die of cancer to get and a that's performance probably like why that. he doesn't want to watch the episodes because it's too painful for him to watch it um, um it no, was he, a beautiful it's an emmy winning performance it, it was a and phenomenal performance the yes. scene where he um walks the length of the throne oh my room, god just insane insanely good filmmaking insanely good performance the writing was so good because it took everything full circle with damon mm-hmm. um putting the crown on right, his head. You know, right. Damon walked into yes. that throne room wearing a crown and dropped it on the floor yeah, in front of yes. him. So, um, I do like that they took the time. Just a beautiful yeah, scene. Yeah, they took the time for him to walk um, because usually, you know, you cut, 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 you know. Uh, no, telev- it was, that's what television does. It was does. gruesome to watch. No, it was like painful. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah. You it know, was it was just amazing work. Watch. And yeah. a couple of times I had to remind myself, I'm like, I think, He's no more than 50, Patty Considine. He's a fit middle-aged man, but you would right. think that was a 90-year-old. Just a um, beautiful performance. Yeah. Beautiful performance. Now, this, I did want to talk about uh, how I, I remain fascinated how this show is um, sort of stacking the deck and trying to get you to like people who... <laughs> I, I mean, I Damon know. beheaded... Corliss Valerian's brother, and you were like, "Okay, I kind of like Damon." I know now. exactly. I mean, because he, he called he called her a whore, and he called her children bastards. bastards and of yeah. course, you just wanted someone to do something. But again, you got to pull back. You're like, "Yeah, okay." Damon really Wait, stood up what? for his wife, who's also his niece. Yeah. Who actually, those children are not the you know are illegitimate, and your kids are getting married now. Right? It's like, oh my god! But you're like, yeah. Damon, you really stood up for your woman. That's just amazing to me. That was my reaction. How this um, world completely fucks with the viewer's yeah. sense of morality. I was like, yay! Yeah. You go, you murdered Damon. your first wife. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. No. I'm <clears throat> feeling dirty right now. Um, and I, I think Olivia Cook is doing a really good job of showing how tortured 
Allison is, but it's very hard not to see Allison as the more villainous of the two, even though like so much of what Rhaenyra and Damon have done right. so far is is indefensible. But um she is, you know, rigid and judgmental and uh, you know, she's letting her rapist son go her son go around raping women in the castle and then she's trying to um shame these women into not saying anything like she's not a, yeah they're going out of their way to show that yes she is tortured by her mm-hmm. life and everything but she's also clearly not a good person i do want to mention that when she talks to the maid uh her performance is so great that the I, maid was so good too that yes, the two of them were great. but my point is that um, um uh, olivia, olivia cook i always get their name mixed up olivia cook was so good that i actually didn't know you didn't know if she was going to kill her or yes, not. Yes, I didn't know. I was like, is she faking here now? Is yeah. she being honest? Her performance was so great yeah. that I couldn't tell. Yeah. Um, but uh, of the two women who center the story, it's it's just easier to look at at, at uh, Allison as yeah. the bad one. Right. Um, because, you know, she raised... And that's the thing, like... Um, Damon and Rhaenyra are, are are kind of terrible, but all of their kids turned out I great. Know, the, uh, Damon's daughters are lovely. They seem to have nice right. personalities. They seem to love their cousins. Well, they're going to have to love their cousins. They're marrying them. <laughs> they're um, literally in figurative. And, um, uh, and anyway. um, Rhaenyra's sons all seem really likable yeah. and good, whereas, you know, Allison's sons are just horror shows. And her daughter seems to have completely disassociated from everything because they forced her to marry her brother. Um, so her family, it's just, it's interesting in a show based around succession and wombs and motherhood, there is one that's clearly a better mother than the other. Right. Um, and, and this is what I mean about stacking the deck because as the story, like, it's, there are no nice people in this story. There no. are no heroines no. in this story. No one covers themselves in glory. I mean, I think that's kind of obvious by by now. But they really are working to get you on Allison, I mean, on Rhaenyra and Damon's side, despite everything right. dark. It, it does feel that way, yeah. We'll see. Um, which leads to the, the penultimate scene before he uh, Viserys dies, is that he's in the throes of, well, morphine, because she gives him milk of the poppy. And he starts repeating the prophecy that he's been talking to Rhaenyra about since the first episode because right. he confuses Alicent with Rhaenyra. And then Alicent winds up thinking that he wants their son Aegon to become I know, king. It's very confusing. And she misunderstands him because there are like 40 Aegons in the story. <laughs> um, I do think I it's, know, I know. it's kind of fun that they... And I, I think this twist is new. I don't think it's from the books. This idea that... Um, she confuses well actually the whole prophecy isn't in the books um and i think it's fun that they're playing on the idea that um the targaryens especially have a tendency to just use the same names over and over again and now the whole country is going to get torn apart by civil war because someone confused their agons i know i mean it's all vaemon and amon and 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 i mean why not just paul peter mary niece and reyna i know there's aemond and Aegon and there's another son, but they haven't shown him yet. Then there's Lucerus and Jaceris. They're all the and same. And Viserys. They all sound the same. And you've, it's there's very two Viserys. Yeah. There's Why? two Aegons. I know. Why not just Peter, Mary, Paul, and, and no. John? Um, and I mean, when you look at, let's say, the history of European monarchies, how many, you know, the names repeat. There's a lot That's of Charles and true. Edwards and true. Georges. True. So true. Um, 
that's I, I you know that's very true of how monarchies work how feudal societies work but and we were going so fast here no. <laughs> i they have an argument as to why they keep going so fast because there's a lot more story to get to and i and, didn't read but, the article but the director's actually gave an interview or something talking about why they're doing it. Right. I, I didn't have time to read it. They but. know that they're going fast, but this was a conscious choice they made to get the characters to a certain point by the end of the first season. I think they only plan on having four seasons. Um, but, like I said, there's these gaps where you as the viewer have to fill in sort right. of why characters are acting certain ways or why certain repercussions did not play out. Um, I think the worst part about the going so fast is that you don't get attached to anyone. You you, you don't. You, um, you barely get to know Lena them. Valerian's yes. death was beautifully shot. Yeah, I'm like, I I, like, and her funeral, stunning. But I I'm like, I feel nothing. Are. I don't. Yeah. Not only that, but you were played by three different actresses. Yeah, it's um, like Mariah Carey. I don't know her. Yeah, I don't know her. <laughs> um, it's yeah, but. Uh, yeah, I, it was a great episode, though. The acting is off the chain. I think they're, they've really run into a, a a problem with the aging on this show because right. they've gone ahead another six years with this episode, and um, we now have actresses who are no more than 29 or 30 years. I think Olivia Cook is only 28, and the character who's playing her oldest son is 27. Oh, wow. Um and looks it. Yeah. They do not look old enough to have nearly adult children, even if we believe that they started having children at like 15. Right. Um, They're too young looking. And, yeah. you know, the story's moving. So, right. And as far as I know, they are not recasting these parts. So, not yet anyway. So, we have to believe that Emma Darcy and Olivia Cook are hovering around 40 or, or near to it. And that's just a little difficult to believe at this right. point. Um, we'll see what not to up. mention the fact that someone like, uh, you know, Damon, who looks exactly the same as he did, you know, the first episodes took place something like 25 years prior right, to right. this episode. And he looks exactly the same. Like, you got to put put them in beards or put some gray in their hair. You got to do something to age some of these characters up. Sir Kristen should not look like that. I keep saying Graham McTavish's character would have to be <laughs> 85 at this point. I know, point. and he's still looking um, amazing. It's, it's, you know, and then you have, of course, Vise I know he was sick, but Viserys aged 50 years into in 25 years and nobody else aged. Um, and it's, except for the children. Um, so it's starting to get a little... It's really starting to strain belief a little bit. As much as I love the actors, the actresses that they have in the main parts, if they're bringing, are they playing these characters all the way through, right, or right. are they recasting them with middle-aged women? They haven't at some said point? anything about new actors. So yeah, so I, I guess yeah. they're already straining belief when you see that they have adult children. Um, they're going to be grandmothers soon. Two of her children, two of Allison's children, are. Oh no, she is a grandmother. Allison's. Yeah, because they, yeah. Yeah, Allison's son and daughter have children. They, they, so Allison is a grandmother. The actress is 28 years old. I mean, <laughs> and looks it. She just did a, an ad for Fenty. Did you see it? No, not oh, yet. God. Oh, my God. I have to the, see it. The girl has a body of death, oh my man. God. She's just in fishnets and panties and oh bra. Oh, my God. And she looks really? insanely hot. Oh, I have to look for that. Um, And she does not look like anyone's grandmother. So they are pushing it on, on the age thing. And... I really hope that, um, I mean, I threw my hands up in the air when I think it was the first line of the episode, this episode, where someone said, it's been six years. And I'm like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Um, here we go again. Here we go. Like, 
I hope they slow things down at some I, point. Well, now that the king is dead. Yeah, probably. Um, it is a strange part of the story is that um, you, you spend the first part of the story thinking the king's going to die at any second and he and, lives and, another and 20 did. years. Um, <laughs> Which is true to the story. I mean, that's it is how true. It happens. And yeah. it's an interesting yeah. twist. You know, it's a succession drama. You know, all hell, right. it's all going to go to hell as soon as he dies. And then Martin waited 20 years for him to die. Um, so that the 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 well of his family became that much more poisoned. Right. Um, no, it's a great setup. Can't wait to see where they're taking it. I love the way they have deepened the story. Um, like the thing with uh, Viserys's final words, or right. the fact that um, Alicent made up with Rhaenyra and then mistook her husband's ramblings for an order, and now it's going to lead to war. Um, it just adds a lot more nuance to it than you lied to me when, when I was 14 and now I hate you for the rest of my life kind of thing. I think things are going to be more energetic away, uh, in a way, I think, uh, because the king gets dead now and they, they're going to start fighting. They're going to the start is, hating each other. I, I, I don't know what they're doing with these kids. Like I, The actors are fine, but they're not setting me on fire. And no, it's, I, so much of the story rests on the, what, right. where it goes with these kids. I'm yeah. not impressed with them. No, um, but, In fact, I, don't, I, don't, I dislike some of them. <laughs> I don't like the guy who plays Amon yeah, uh, with the eye patch. First off, he looks absolutely nothing like the kid who played him. Uh, right, I, right. I, if he didn't have the eye patch, you would never believe that was supposed to be the same guy. And he acts nothing like that kid. Right. That kid was, they did a weird job with that kid's characterization because he was like timid and awkward right. and then suddenly he had the biggest dragon in the world and, and they never really, and then he was now. this total psychopath, badass, whatever. And I'm like, all right. That, again, huge gaps in character seven development. Years. A lot happens in seven years. Six years. Six yeah. years, sorry. So, um, <laughs> but I didn't love, the, the actor just looked like he an 80s hair metal band. You know, he just didn't, he looked like he was in a music video and... He's so like villainous. He's so clearly the villain. I know. I know that it. You know, whatever. We'll see where it goes. I like, um, like I said, I like Damon's daughters, and I like um, Rhaenyra's sons so far. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. I hope they. I mean, yeah, because I bar- I feel like I barely know these kids. You know, um, but so, the story is going to rest on all of them. That's my point. So they do have to spend some time introducing these kids to us. Otherwise, I'm going right. to go like, what? Huh? And they've got to start putting people in old age makeup, and right. they're not going to recast these parts. I, I still mean, love the show. I think the show is great. I do too. Um, I think um, I go back and forth, back and forth between this and uh, the Rings of Power. But an episode like this one is like, oh well. Yes, this is much more right. nuanced writing than the Rings of Power. There's a lot more adult, you know, uh, emotions involved in something I, I like feel, this. I think so. Uh, but again, Rings of Power is completely different. It, it they each push different buttons for me, and I'm True. happy that they both exist. Um, and that's it for this yeah. week, I believe. Yes. You have anything else you want to say? No, I think that's it. Um, let us know what you all thought about the Gonna various... Going to start putting things in trash bags now. <laughs> yes. Let us know what you all thought about the various TV shows that we talked about this week. And we will be back next week with whatever crosses our eyes or crosses our desks. A line which never makes any sense, but I say it anyway. <laughs> Until then, uh, take care of yourselves. Love you. Mean it. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.